Today's scripture comes Today's scripture comes from Matthew 18 verses 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the reading of God's word. Shoes are glowing. All right. Um, <clears throat> you ever sit into a, a sinner service and you hear a message and you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, uh, this message is probably the most boring sermon I've ever heard. I don't know if I could uh, keep my eyes open. Um, well, today might be one of those days, okay? Um, and uh, I'm not really worried, you know, if you fall asleep. Uh, I, I just think there's going to be a lot of teaching. Not a lot, but there's a, there needs to be some teaching here. There needs to be some awareness. There needs to be some uh, encouragement from this passage. Um, and what I'm doing here is, in the past few weeks, kind of go over things, because we do have this evaluation thing coming up. Um, and the question you've got to ask is this. When you're asked to evaluate something, do you know what you should be looking for, right? Do you know uh, what, what, what should be expected from a lot of these things? And sometimes we think we do, but we might not really be totally clear. And so that's why we're going over these things um, in the past few weeks and even today. And one of the things we're looking at today is this. Um, on the survey, there will be a lot of questions regarding leadership, the leadership of the church. That includes uh, our, our elders, includes Pastor James, and it also includes myself, all right? And so there are a lot of questions that are going to be geared towards evaluating uh, us, those people, right, the, the leadership of the church. And so in order to address that, I thought it would be great to understand, especially with our elders, to know uh, if you're going to evaluate our leadership, our eldership, um, what should you be looking for, right? What, what is the thing that you should be looking for? What is the thing that we should do? Do you know? Now, I know if you're an elder here today, you know, this might put you a little on the spot or a little uncomfortable, but, um, you know, don't worry because um, I'm an elder too, and so I, I think we, we can do this together. But that's what we're looking at here. In this weird passage here in Matthew chapter 18, two points here that I'm just going to say, and it's going to be drawn out, but two points, two Ps. There's a problem here in our passage, but there's a promise. Did you know <clears throat> that we are a Presbyterian church? I don't know if anyone told you that, right? It's in our name, Sojourner Presbyterian. I don't know if that means anything to you or if, that, if you even care. But the word Presbyterian, generally speaking, is about a form of government. It's where we get the word presbyter, which literally means elder. That's why if you go to a Presbyterian church, you'll find people who are designated as elders. It's a form of church government. It's how the church rules. Do you know who the elders of your church are? Do you know who the elders of your church are? Have you ever spoken to them? 
as elders of the church. What are they supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Do you know who your elders are? And so just real quickly, briefly, just to give you an overview, and this is the Bible study portion, here are things that I think that elders, you should be looking for, okay? Just three or four things. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, this is what Peter says to the church. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, right, as God would have you. So there, 1 Peter says that he encourages the elders. One of the things they're supposed to do is to shepherd the flock. The word shepherding is a bucolic image. It, it, it's talking about, for example, the picture of a shepherd with his flock of sheep. What do shepherds do with their sheep? They take care of the sheep. They feed them. They protect them. They grow them. They make sure they're walking on the right path, right? That's one of the things that elders are supposed to do. If you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, you read the qualifications of what those elders are. But there, Paul calls Timothy, and he says that the elder is an overseer. That's the word he uses, an overseer, someone who oversees. And then he begins these qualifications. An elder should be sober-minded, self-controlled, hospitable, uh, manages household, not a recent convert, so on and so forth. But one of the things that he mentions there in 1 Timothy is that they're able to teach. They're able to teach, which means that they know a few things. If they're going to teach, they must know a few things, right? And so you've got first, they're called to shepherd. Elders are called to shepherd. Secondly, they're also called to teach, right, to feed the sheep, right? They know a few things. And, last, and third, in 1 Timothy 3, this very same thing, the word oversee lead, means to watch over. It means to lead. That's why sometimes it's translated overseer as elder or shepherd. So there you go. You've got three things in a nutshell. What should I be looking for in an elder? What's their role? Shepherding, overseeing and leading, and possibly teaching. Now, what about the pastor? Right? Where does the pastor fit in? Did you know that there is only one place in the Bible that actually mentions the word pastor? You find overseer, you find shepherding, you find, you find uh, elders everywhere in the Bible, but there's only one place in the Bible that actually mentions the word pastor. Do you know where that is? It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, where Paul says he gives the church pastors, right? Pastors. But when you look at that word pastor in Ephesians chapter 4, pastor is not an office there. I don't think it's meant to be some kind of title. Rather, pastor or pastoring is what an elder does. It's the act of shepherding, and that's why the word pastor in other translations sometimes are translated as shepherd. So what are pastors then? Pastors are elders. They're also elders. But they're elders that are dedicated and devoted most to the nurture of the church by shepherding. How? By taking care of the flock, particularly in feeding them through the preaching and teaching of God's word and ministering to them the sacraments and continuing to minister to them in private and personal ways, right? That's what it means to shepherd. That's what a pastor is. And so I'm a shepherd, but I'm also a pastor, and I'm also one of the elders. Did you know that? Okay? Now, there's one important thing here that elders do, and that's here in our passage today. And this is kind of serious. 
Uh, we probably never experienced this. We've looked at it briefly before, but look at what he tells us. Look at what Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew. He's talking about what to do when you have a person in your church who is continually, unrepentingly sinning. And there's a process there. He says, if there's a brother that's sinning against you, go to them personally, privately, one-to-one. If he doesn't listen, then Jesus says, bring a couple witnesses. Try and encourage the brother to turn away from his ways. But then the third thing, and the last thing that he tells us to do, which we looked here in our passage, he says that it's in verse 17, if he refuses to listen even to the church, or them, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. Now, what does that mean? And then he says, if he refuses to listen even to the church, verse 17, this is what Jesus says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Let me explain what's going on here, okay? This is what is called, in our tradition, church discipline. And there's a process that it needs to go through that Jesus brings us to, a general process, one-to-one, personally, privately, maybe a few people in the church, maybe, you know, something more, but it's, it's a serious issue. As it progresses, the issue, whatever the issue is, is pretty bad. It's pretty serious, so serious that, Paul, or that Jesus says, if he doesn't listen to anyone, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, what does he say? Treat that person as a Gentile and a tax collector. Do you know what that means? If you're a Jewish community, one of the worst people is a Gentile or a tax collector. It means they're not part of the community. So what Paul or Jesus is talking about here, right, is if there's someone in the church who is unrepentant, who is continuing in a horrible sin, right, just not listening to anyone and is hurting not only the person but hurting others around them, and if this person refuses to listen, even after they're telling it to the church, whatever that means, the church is to treat the person as a Gentile and a tax collector. Do you know what that means? It means the person is removed, removed from the community of believers. You are not a Christian. That's what it means. It's pretty serious. Do you know what we call this? Excommunication. Excommunication. I don't like talking about excommunication because uh, I've rarely seen it work out well. But that's where you have it. Here's the question I have, though. That's a big decision to make, isn't it? That's a big judgment to make. What does Jesus mean when he says, tell it to the church? Does he mean to make an announcement to the whole church and every person in the church about what one or two people are doing? Is that what he means? I think what he means is he's saying, when he says church, he's talking about the leadership. He's talking about the overseers and the elders. How do I know this? Because in the next verse, verse 18, what does Jesus say? Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Do you see that language? He's saying to them, if you, you know, tell it to the church, if he doesn't listen, treat them as a Gentile tax collector. Whatever I, you bind on earth was bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's, that's authority talk. Binding and loosing, right? That's, that's a kind of authority there, right? That belongs to a kind of leadership. 
The leadership has the responsibility to make decisions concerning unrepentant sinners in the community, decisions that carry a kind of authority, such as that when they're made, are considered likewise fixed in heaven. This is called ruling and governing. Ruling and governing. That's a big job. It's a serious job. But it's also the job of the elder. This is why in every Presbyterian church, you have two kinds of elders. You have a ruling elder, and you have a teaching elder. All right? They're all elders, but ruling elders focus on more of the governing and the aspects of that church. The teaching elders tend to focus more on the teaching and the preaching. They both can teach, and they both can govern. They just have different emphasis, right? Think about this. Now you know why we need more than one elder. Because if this huge job of, of you know, discerning the congregation's spiritual well-being, if this job is given just to me, oh my goodness, you know, I, I, who knows what I could say, right? If I'm the only elder, if I'm the only person, if, I, if you see me as the only authority, who, who, what, 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 what could I have done? What, what could I do? I, it could be a complete power trip. It could be a complete, you know, mess. That's why I need accountability. That's why we need plurality. And that's why we need more than one elder. Okay, I'm done with the Bible study part, right? Shepherding, teaching, overseeing, leading, governing, and ruling. Ruling elder, teaching elder. Here's what I want to say to you as a church hold them accountable. You have people in your church that are supposed to do this. Hold them accountable. Don't hold them accountable because you don't see them leading the committees. Don't just hold them accountable because you don't see leaders leading the praise. Remember, just because someone is an elder doesn't mean that they're good at everything. Just because someone is an elder doesn't mean that they're best fit to lead, for example, a fellowship committee, a community group, or lead an outreach or mission. They surely can, just like everyone else. Anything that an elder doesn't have to do, so can you. But what do we hold our elders accountable to? What do you need to hold me accountable to? Shepherding, feeding, teaching, leading, ruling, and governing. I want you to know this. You don't just have one or two pastors who are elders. You have six. Six guys given to the church. They're meant to be resources Resources for comfort, for care, for accountability, for wisdom, for teaching, even for discipline. So I want to challenge you today. If you haven't talked to one of these elders as an elder, right, go up to them. Go up to one of them. Ask them to take you out for dinner. See what happens. All right? Uh, I'm just saying there are resources in the church. At the very least, let your voice be heard. Okay, now, here's the problem, the first P. This idea of church, Presbyterian church, form of government, uh, procedures and policies, in, in our day and age, in our current culture and situation, we oftentimes feel there's just too much of, of this form of government, procedures, form, you know, it, it's red tape for many of us. Uh, it's very institutional. It, it sounds political when you talk about offices of the church. And so we live in a current culture today where the church, we feel, ought to move far, far away from this as much as possible. 
that the church should not be some kind of institution, some kind of corporate or political organization, but it's the house of God. It's the family of God. And so things like denomination or denominationalism is, is seriously neglected. And so many of us who feel if you go to church, it doesn't matter what kind of church you go to, as long as you have a church that kind of believes in the Bible and holds in high regard Jesus Christ and so on and so forth. Because the church is a spiritual idea. It's not a carnal or worldly idea. So we should avoid all this talk about denomination and organization, especially when it comes to the church. We live in a culture where currently we are disillusioned with leadership. We are skeptical, distrusting of authority, especially these days, especially church leadership. We are and have become, many of us in our society, anti-authoritarian, anti-institutional. And I'm going to be very honest, there's good reason for that. In the past five years, there's some pastor who's fell from grace and put on the media and the news, and you hear about it all the time. And it's not always the most flattering thing, is it? It's kind of embarrassing. What do we do when we hear about conflict within the church? What do we do when we hear about conflict within its leadership? What do we say when we hear about moral failures, publicized for the world to see, character failures, leaders of the church, giving in to greed or power or corruption. I mean, what do you say to your non-Christian friends? It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? And so it's no wonder, then, that people are disillusioned with leadership in general, and particularly, I think, with religious or church leadership. How many times have you heard someone say, I had a bad experience with those elders and those pastors? How many times have you thought, well, that person only cares about himself with greed and power and corruption? I mean, this is a real problem. This is the state of what we think. That's the problem. So today, the word authority isn't a popular word. For many, authority implies authoritarian, and that any kind, therefore, of authority is bad. It's a reaction against an abusive overreach of authority, which is true. You think about this, right, in this context. Why would anyone want to be an elder today, right? Why would anyone want to be, a, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, uh, I think it was still kind of somewhat popular, at least among Christian circles, oh, oh, he's the pastor, he's so cool, you know, and you were young, you had crushes on, you know, the praise team leader or, or you know, the pastor, so on. N nowadays, it's not the same. Why would you want to be an elder? First of all, did you know in James chapter 3, if you are an elder or a teacher, you're going to be judged greater. That's what James says. Not many of you should become elders and teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who do this will be judged with greater strictness. That's what he says, all right? So God's going to hold his leaders accountable one day. But also the fact that there's so much responsibility people have. I mean, aren't we busy just taking care of our own families, uh, our, our work, um, whatever the case is, so many things to do. And then on top of that, as an elder, if you want to be one, is to serve and then to pray. Uh, and then let's not forget about the pressure that the people are always looking to you for some kind of leadership. They have expectations, maybe high expectations, to be a source of wisdom or knowledge or understanding. Maybe they're pressured to set a, 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 an example of godliness 
And then let's not forget the temptation to pride, to power, and even influence. Why would you want to be an elder today? Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Well, listen to this. Peter and the disciples. Peter, one of the, probably one of the first elders of the New Testament church, he's supposed to be the rock. His name, Peter Petros, means rock. And Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on you. And he gives Peter and the apostles the keys to the kingdom. All right, that's Christianese meaning some kind of authority. All right? What does Peter do when Jesus dies? He denies him three times and he runs away. That's the first elder. I mean, if you think about it, what was Jesus thinking? I mean, that, that was a pretty bad choice, wasn't it, to pick Peter and those apostles. Isn't it kind of like the blind leading the blind? Those are the guys that were supposed to do Matthew 18, what we're talking about right now, to disciple, to discipline the church, to lead, to govern, to shepherd. And God chose, or Jesus chose those guys. There's got to be better options. You would think that there's a better system than using imperfect, broken, flawed people, still sinful people, to govern and guide, to shepherd just as broken, just as flawed people. I think that's a problem. I would think that's a problem. Okay? Do you ever think about that? But here's the promise. Here's the promise. Let's consider Jesus' own experience with church leadership. The idea of elders wasn't a new thing in the New Testament, okay? It was always there, even in the Old Testament. In fact, do you know who was considered one of the greatest elders of the Old Testament? The one always getting the attention, the one always in the forefront in the Old Testament. Do you know who that was? Moses. Moses, even today, considered the elder of Israel. So the idea of elders, the idea of even church discipline, of ruling and governing, of shepherding, all those things, they're very familiar with the audience of Jesus here in our passage. They know what he was talking about. But listen to what Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 16. He says this, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed on the third day. He will be raised. Did you hear that? Jesus is telling his disciples, he began to show them, he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to suffer many things from the hands of elders and the chief priests. The elders of the Old Testament church had become corrupt. They were power-hungry, and they sought to destroy God's own son. And the irony of all of this is that Jesus himself was subject to church discipline. He was the one that was removed from those religious communities. He was the one that was rejected by his own people. He was the one that was unjustly punished, crucified on a cross like a criminal, in essence, you could say this, Jesus was the one that was excommunicated to the max unjustly. 
And I'm sure Jesus knows. I mean, he knows people, right? He, he knows how they can be. But if anyone should have said, you know, if anyone should have been disillusioned with church leadership, if anyone should have been anti-institutional church, anti-authoritarian, if anyone should have said, this is not working out, it should have been Jesus, the one who says he's going to suffer many things at the hands of elders. If anyone should have said, you know, we need to scratch this whole elder thing because it's just not working out, it's a real problem, it should have been Jesus. But notice this. In our passage today, as he talks about discipline, look at the way he talks about church authority. Look at the way he's still talking about church discipline and its leadership. Even though he knows what's about to happen, Jesus speaks today in our passage as if it's no problem for him at all. As if it's no real issue at all. How could Jesus talk like that? Why could Jesus say this? Because not only does he know the problem, he makes a promise. And the promise is in verse 20. This is what he says. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am with them. You've heard that verse before, and when you heard that verse, you thought, well, two or three Christians gathered together, Jesus is with us, right? The Spirit is with us. That's not what he's talking about. When Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, guess who he's talking about? Those two or three are the elders, talking about disciplining the church. And Jesus promises, I am with them. Jesus is not here speaking about home Bible studies or prayer meetings. He's speaking of the session that gathers for the purpose of governing the church. Jesus knows that people will always be problematic, that people, because they have problems, because they're still sinners, including the elders, will always have problems. But though the church is always weak and frail because people are still sinners, and though the offices oftentimes can be abused by those who fill them, Jesus offers no apology. Why? Because his confidence was not in people, nor in its officers. His confidence was in his own presence. I will be there. The presence of Jesus in the power of the Spirit that he will give to the church after he dies and is resurrected. From that point on, in Acts chapter 2, I will be there. That's the promise. It's a promise that's never been made before until now. And that's why he says in our passage, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. That's the promise. That's the hope. Now, this doesn't mean that the church today should be perfect. We know it's not. There still are bad shepherds. There still are bad pastors and bad elders. And until Jesus comes back, we could probably expect some churches to be led by those who exercise authority for their own benefit, no matter the consequences of the sheep. And let me just be very clear. When you see leadership abuses up close and personal, that should keep you from devoting yourselves exclusively to any kind of human authority. We are right to resist wrongful authority, especially of disqualified shepherds. 
But having said that, okay, let me push back a little bit. The answer to bad authority is not no authority. It needs to be better authority. It needs to be a good authority. Not no authority, but better authority. What kind of authority, what kind of leadership, what kind of leadership should we expect from a group of people that's filled with the presence of Christ? I am there with you. Look at this. Did you notice that in verse 17 of our text, when Jesus speaks of the elders, he speaks to them and he uses the word the church. Tell it to the church. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he simply say, tell it to the elders, tell it to the shepherds, the overseers? Why does he say the word church? And I think this is why. Because the individual elders are being overshadowed by the corporate aspect of the church. And by using the word church instead of elders, Jesus is purposely placing the elders in the background. Think about this. Why does Moses in the Old Testament receive so much attention as opposed to all the other elders of Israel? And I could be self-serving and I could suggest, well, Moses was also a pastor and pastors get all the attention as opposed to all the elders. But no. Moses received all that attention in the Old Testament because he was the head, the Old Testament head of the church, considered as such. This is why in the New Testament and today, no elder, ruling, teaching, pastor or otherwise, takes center stage. Because now, the head of the church is no longer Moses, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Listen to what Peter says to the church. He says, you are straying like sheep, but you've now returned to the shepherd, the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. He's not talking just about any elder. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's the true elder. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who has brought us to God through his death and resurrection, once the chief elder has drawn near and united himself to us, no man can take center stage as our leader. There's no room for personality cults in the kingdom of God. That is why Jesus uses the word church instead of elders. Once the true shepherd and the true elder has come and brought us to himself, all other leadership fades into the background. So what kind of leadership, what kind of authority should human elders have? It's to be modeled after their chief elder, Jesus Christ, under whom they serve. Jesus Christ, our shepherd, our overseer, who came not to be served, but to serve. To serve. He was a servant, and his leadership and authority is a servant leadership. And as Christ became our servant to lead us, so the elders who lead in his name must become a servant. He didn't seek his own glory. He didn't have any own, his own agendas besides doing his father's business. And now the offices of the church are to follow his example. Not perfect authority, okay? Not perfect leadership, 
but a kind that wants to emulate our Savior, a kind that wants to be faithful to God. How? By serving others. That's one of the roles of the elder. Ruling, teaching, otherwise, is that of a servant. A kind that never points to himself or herself, but always points to him. A servant with that kind of authority that is not only transparent, but quickly and able to apologize, to repent quickly for our sins, and continue to trust in God's grace because of what Jesus has done. That's the kind of authority we need. That's the kind of leadership we need to have. So let me just end it with this. You could still be disillusioned. You could still be cynical about leadership. Or you could be amazed by grace. The fact that Jesus started a church with people like this, that God would use ordinary, broken human beings as vessels of his grace, the idea that God would use someone like me or you, that's pretty amazing if you think about it. I'm sure he had other options. You could be cynical about this, or you could be amazed by his grace. He didn't give up on the church, and neither should we. And so are we, before we, let me just implore you with this, before you give up on any leadership, before you are ready to critique, evaluate, before you want to seek a change in, in leadership, just one question. Have you prayed for them? Have you prayed for them? Do you pray that God, in spite of their weaknesses and sins, that he would still use them by his grace, fill them with his spirit to lead a church, to follow, not the pastor, but to follow Jesus Christ, to disciple the church, even if it's just by leading by example, and to repent and follow Jesus, even in their own lives? Do you pray for the leadership? And I pray that we do that, not just for my sake, but for our sake. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace because it's something we need when we think about trying to do something like a church, leading a, a group, leading a people, or teaching someone, uh, encouraging someone, even, even just to be faithful in the church or in our lives. If we're very honest with ourselves, at every point we stumble sometimes. It feels that way. At every situation we, we sometimes could have used a little more wisdom, a little more patience, uh, said the right things. Uh, we, in fact, recognize the weakness of people in ourselves. And yet, Lord, though the world may be more and more disillusioned with the church, we pray that we'd find encouragement in the fact that you, God, in Jesus Christ, who started the church, built upon the foundation of you and the apostles with Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, that you who built the church will continue to stain it through thick or thin. And you will provide the leadership that's needed. And as you provide leadership, you will also continue to create that leadership in their hearts as they grow, as they learn, as they become older, as they become more wise. We pray for your mercy and grace upon them. And we pray, Lord, if we fail, we pray, Lord, when there are bad and badly equipped elders, that you will do what is right 
for the sake of your church. You will discipline, you will remove, you will correct, and you will rebuke. And so, Lord, as we think about these things, as people work with people, help us to look up to know that, Lord, that we do not work alone, but that you have promised that you are indeed with us. Help us to trust in that and hope in that as we continue to be faithful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.